I want you this morning to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, find Proverbs and then just move into Ecclesiastes and we're going to read from chapter 3 and continue again. But just as you find your place there, I want to say primarily for those online who will watch this afterwards is please do be in prayer. There's many who feel a part of us, join with us, watch messages later who are scattered in many different nations, please be in prayer. There's a very busy three months coming up for me and it's beyond me. Uh, We'll be doing a school in Germany, various other countries, things to do in places. And I find that overwhelming. I really need the grace of God to have my mind clear, my heart clear and to be inspired uh, in the word of God. So I really covet all those online as well as you as a church here. I covet your prayers and I'm just waiting upon the Lord. I really need the touch and the anointing of God in this hour and season. I'm not going to sit down and die. I want to tell you, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I've got a short period of time as you do, and I'm not going to waste that time. I do cry my tears. My heart is broken, but I'm going to rejoice in this Savior I am going to endeavor to help others in their walk with God. I won't sit down under this. I'm going to, I'm going to fight like Candace fought to the very end. And I exhort you to do the same. Run well. We've only got a short time. You don't know what days you have, but run well in these days. Turn into Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we're coming to the last message of this series, The Four Seasons of Life. I thought it would be the last one, but we ran out of time. I could have kept you all day, but I I chose rather just to stop and to continue again with another eighth message. And so this is part eight, The Four Seasons of Life, and it's part two of that. We're going to finish this. We've done two seasons. We're going to do the last two seasons here as we close out. This series, but let's read together Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything, 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 good, bad, ugly, everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And then verse 11, he that is God hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work of God that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them in all the things mentioned, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the word of God. It encourages us, Lord God, so very often. We're so grateful for the truth of God that lifts us, that stirs us, that turns our eye onto you, that illuminates our mind with insight and understanding that we could never have otherwise with our natural eye or our natural thinking. But your word teaches us your character. It teaches us about your secret hand of providence at work in the normal affairs of life. It teaches us that we're not to be dismayed 
when a winter time comes because your plan and your purpose is in it and you have ordained it just as you have summer. Lord God, we're so glad for the teaching of your word because it takes our eyes off ourselves, our surroundings, everything else, and it places it firmly upon you as a God that doeth all things well, that causes all things to work together for good. And we do love you this morning. Will you please speak to us again as we finish this series in Jesus name. Amen. The four seasons of life, part two. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter three, in this astounding teaching about the plans of God, the purpose and the times of God. From verse 2 to verse 8, we have 28 different things mentioned, very important things, very strategic things that happen in all lives. And so you have this list in six verses of 28 very specific things. Why does he list out these 28 things in a few short, brief statements? It's because of verse 1. It says to everything, there is a season, absolutely everything. Nothing is wasted in your Christian life. Maybe you at this point in your Christian life are looking at some things and you're saying, that's wasted. That isn't serving a purpose. God cannot use that. You could not be more wrong with that. Nothing is wasted. Good and bad is never wasted. God uses all of these things. And he says there, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And so what it begins to show us is there are certain specific things all through our entire life. Here are 28 and there's far more, but he gives us 28 very specific things that happen commonly to mankind. And yet he says there are specific times and seasons. You see, when God is in charge of your life, it's not haphazard. When either a birth or a death happen, it's not haphazard. God actually has a season and a time and a purpose for those things. There is a reason why certain things happen at a certain time. And so there are specific times. All times are not meant to be the same. That's why if you miss a season in your life, just try to go back and recreate that. It is impossible You could say, I'm the same person. I know the same people. There's the same surrounding. Go back and try to create that exact same time. Try to create it, conjure it up. Try to catch the past and bring it back. It is utterly impossible. You cannot do it because there are set times, set seasons, set days for certain things to happen. And you know what? It's not within your power at all. Notice as well in these 28 things that there are couplets. There are 14 pairs. In other words, two things are joined together all the way through these 28 things. He keeps putting 14 couplets together. And I want you to notice something about them. They are opposites he puts together. And this list of everything having a right season and a right time in the plan of God. He actually joins together things that you think don't join together. You think they're enemies, they're opposites, they're contradictions, that they cancel each other out. And yet God puts things together to show you can't have one without the other. You won't benefit from one without the other. There are 14 pairs and they're contrasted And this is deliberately done. They're radically different. One of them you would choose and desire and you'd want. The other you would think is anathema and say, I never want that in my life. And yet he joins them. In other words, you can't have life if you don't also know there's a death. You don't want death. You don't want an end. You want the beginning. You want the birth. 
You want a new child born in. But I want to tell you, joined to that is a season of death. And so far in our world, 6,000 years of history, billions of people, only two men didn't die. Even Jesus died. God's only begotten son, even he died. And yet only two men in all of history haven't thus far. And so we have here very deliberately in understanding there are seasons, there are times, they are very different. We have the joining together of things that in our mind seem to be opposites. You see, the first two are beyond us. Life and death, they're beyond us. It doesn't depend on you. You can't do anything about that, generally speaking. Life and death are remarkable things. But notice the other 13 couplets depend on your response. They are things that you actually do. It's a choice. It's something of your own volition. It's something of your own deeds. And so the other 13 couplets, you're heavily involved in both of them. Whether it seems positive or negative, it's your hand, it's your choice that is actually uh, doing those things. And you're caught up in them. Look at the extreme change from life to death. That's extreme. You can't get two things further apart. You can't get anything further apart than mourning and dancing or laughing and crying. You can't get anything more contrasted. There are extreme changes. And notice it's saying here about seasons and times for things. Is there anything more dramatic to go from a birth to a death? That's extreme. And yet we see here in these 28 things, these 14 couplets, one follows on the heels of the other. Do you remember Christ as he rode into Jerusalem on his very last journey? Do you remember how the crowds of Jerusalem met him? On that day, at that time, at that season, what are they singing? Hosanna, Hosanna. They threw their garments down. They put palm leaves down and he rode in on the back of a donkey. Have you seen anything more beautiful as the children sang and praised him and acknowledged him? Yet listen, as he rode into Jerusalem with the crowds, the multitudes singing Hosanna, do you realize you could count the hours? You could literally count the hours when crowds are going to gather in the same streets and cry with anger and jealousy and hatred. Crucify him. Crucify him. Can you imagine one day being hailed Hosanna and the next day crucify him? That is a sharp contrast in life. Life can dramatically change, instantly change. You come to the end of one day, one season, and you enter into another season. He'll never be the same again. And you don't have power over that. Or what about Paul when he's writing to the Galatian churches? Remember there he, he says, there was a day, you Galatian churches, not too long ago, you nice Christian folk, about me, the preacher, you would have plucked your own eye out and gave it to me because you thought of me like an angel. That's how you treated me, like I wasn't even from this world. You treat me with honor and respect. You would have gave me your very eye. He says, now I tell you the truth. Now I preach the truth and you become mine enemies. You have actually made me your enemy. How could you deal with the same Apostle Paul and one day you're treating him like an angel, the next day you're treating him like a demon? Do you see in life, things can dramatically change. The same people, the same environment, not too separated by time. And yet you enter into a unique season of time. You're not going to be treated like an angel anymore. You're going to be treated like a devil. And you know what? God's plan is in that. God's purpose is in that. And so we see there are specific periods of time for certain things to happen. They're not accidental. Not even death is accidental if you read and believe the word of God. It says in Job 14 and 5, and this was his conviction about his own life. Seeing his days, talking about man, 
His days, days, are determined. The number of his months are with thee, with God. How many months you have are determined by God. Not you, not man, not chance. And of course, there's other teachings. You could die early. It says that in Corinthians. Through tolerating certain sins, God could say, I'm going to remove you. Because it's still in his hands. It's not out of his hands. He ordains your very months that you're going to be on this earth. Thou hast appointed, Job speaking about God, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. He's talking about the length of your days. You think you can extend your life. That doesn't mean you don't pray for healing. Job believed in healing. Job was healed. Aren't you glad he didn't say, oh, well, that's it over. I'm just going to sit here to uh, die. No, he sought after God. God did heal him and raise him up. Thank God. Job also says in chapter seven, verse one, is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days also like the days of an harling? So the days that you live, the length of your life is like a harling. What's a harling? You just hire them. They're not the main shepherd. They're not the main worker. They're not a lifetime worker. A harling someone you hire during the summer for a short period of time. You're not staying here. You're only here for a short time. We're only going to keep you weeks or months or while the work is needed, then we'll, <laughs> you'll be going back again. And so your life on the earth is like a hireling. You're not here to stay. You don't have indefinite months and indefinite years. You don't have that. They are restricted. There is a boundary. And so we see that you believed this with all of his heart. That God has set a boundary on your days. That if he ordains you're going to die at 80, you will not live to 90. You can't escape this. It's utterly impossible. Sometimes I think God allows the wicked to live long. You see these new world order men, they live into their 90s. You may wonder at that and you see a godly person die at 51 and you say, how can it be? Why, why, why does all of these world political manipulators live to be old men? Is it their medication? You know what I believe? I believe their hell is going to be a terrible hell. And God allows them to exist on earth. It seems there's no restraint. And if you're not careful, you could look at them and say, God, why do you allow that? It's because their hell is going to be a terrible hell. I believe there's many people God leaves here. I've seen it in my lifetime. Useless, wasteful, negligent people. And they hang around here for years. God help us. And some that are fruitful and effectual and serving God and godly and they're taken off the scene of time. Do you know the Bible talks about these things and explains them? And in Ecclesiastes 3, it's dealing with all these diverse things of life. You see, there's a limited period for everything, not just death, but for everything in life that you're going to do. There's a limited, restricted period of time to do certain things. If you don't do certain things in a certain season, you can't do that in the next season. You could do it, but it's going to be too late. It's actually in the wrong season. Psalm 30 verse 5, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There are limited, restricted periods to do the appropriate thing. When it's nighttime, it may be okay to weep. It's okay to weep when it's a time of weeping, but joy comes in the morning. There's a time when weeping ends and joy comes. It's wrong to weep when you ought to be rejoicing, and it's wrong to rejoice when you ought to be weeping. Never get these things confused. There's a right time. And for every time, there is an action. So whatever season you're in, there's something to do. There's something to be done. There's something for you to choose to do. It says for every time, there's a purpose. The word purpose means a will, a desire. So whatever time you are in your individual life, there's a desire. There's a purpose. In other words, there's something for you to decide, 
something for you to do. You ought to be desiring something within that period of time. It's an act of your will. You cannot ordain the season. You don't do that. It's not in your hands. But within that season, you do choose what you're going to do there. You're going to get two people in the same season, same situation, and they act differently within that. Notice here in these verses, it shows there is a variety and a change radical in life. Life is very changeable. There are great extremes that make up our Christian life, and God has ordained that. You cannot have one without the other. You can't separate these things. And I know what you would choose for your life. You see, there are depths of comparability with this. What do we do in restricted seasons? What are you going to do in a season that God says you're not going to always have it? You're not always going to be here. You may only be in it once in your entire lifetime. But what are you going to do in this season? You can't catch up in this after it's gone. Doing the right thing at the wrong time can be disastrous for your life. You can say, but I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what the Bible says, or I'm doing what I feel God says. If it's at the wrong time, you're actually wrong. You could justify yourself and say, but I'm doing the right thing. Is it the right time? Let me show you from the Bible, like the foolish virgins, they come saying, Lord, Lord, was that right to do? They come knocking on the door, the right door of the right person. Isn't everything right? They believe this. They know this. They know where to go to. You know what the problem was? It was the wrong time. They had a season to get saved in. They didn't get saved. You know now, they come at the wrong time saying, save us, let us in. Sorry, it's too late. And so you could miss a divine season. Or what about Esau? He comes wandering in. He's hungry. He's tired. He's driven by the flesh. Make me some soup and I'll sell my birthright to you, my inheritance. Later, he comes with tears. Oh, that he had tears in the right time. You know, before he was lazy, lethargic, and you could have got anything out of him. That's the time to make a deal with Esau. If you ever meet an Esau, make sure you make a deal with him then and buy what you're going to buy off him then. Because you know what? When he wakes up and comes to his senses, he says, no, 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 I'm going to change things. When Esau had tears, when he had repentance, when he come knocking saying, no, 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 I want the inheritance, it's too late. It's actually, you have lost it. You despised your birthright. birthright. Now you come and say, no, 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 I do want it. I want to have it. I'm the oldest. Too late. And so with this, you could see it's very important to understand the season you're in, what's happening around you, because there's something for you actually to do. And you know, in Ecclesiastes, if you went further, and we're not going to go further, but if you actually went further, you'd begin to see that he begins to deal with this, that there's something for you to do in each of these seasons. And you know what God's plan for all of these diverse things is? That you're going to search out and find. You see, that's God's test of you in this trial at this time. What's Keith going to do in this season of life? I could have ran well all my life, but how am I going to run in this season? Nothing. Test me more than what I'm presently going through. I could say, but I walked with him. I served him. I prayed. I was righteous. I've done a lot. You know what? I've got to make sure right now, right in this season, right at this time, I maintain my way before the Lord. It says in Psalm 31, 15, my times, David speaking at a very hard time, my times are in thy hand, in the hand of God. He acknowledged it. He prayed about it. He had faith for it. He committed his ways, not into his own hands. You know, when you make the choices for your life, you're in dangerous ground. When you see a quick way to get what you want, you're in dangerous ground. What David said is, my times, what I do there, the season of life is in your hands. If they were in your hands, You would exclude certain things in this list. You could go through right now and you could go exclude, 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 delete, 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 delete. You can't do that with your Bible. 
Maybe they'll create a new version very soon and you can go through every verse, first time reading through the Bible, just delete. Or um, here's an option. Do you like this verse? Do you want a different verse? We'll recreate it for you. When you got to Ecclesiastes, you would go down and delete 14 things out of the 28, I am sure. You go delete, 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 delete. You see, so if your times were in your hands, you would actually change things. Or if your times were in the devil's hands, he would delete all the good things, wouldn't he? He'd be going delete, 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 delete. I don't want any blessing. I don't want any victory. I don't want to go from weeping to rejoicing and dancing. I don't want any dancing or rejoicing in your life. I want your heart to be crushed and broken. And so you need to know who have you placed your times in whose hands? Who holds your times? In this message, what we started last time, we're dealing with the four seasons. There are four spiritual seasons in the Christian life. All four are very different. They have a different purpose, a different reason. They produce a different thing. They look different. They affect you differently. The environment changes radically from season to season. If you don't understand that the four go together, they're interlocked together. They're dependent on each other. You can't have a summer if you don't have a winter. You cannot have it. You can't have a springtime if you don't have an autumn or a fall. You just cannot have it. We think I could perpetually have springtime and summer. Don't you realize by moving winter out and autumn out, the whole thing collapses? Because it's a circle that interlinks and all through history, it has been working together. Without a winter, if you deny yourself a winter, you will never have a spiritual summer in your life. If you don't have an autumn of things dying and falling and being removed, you'll never have a springtime of new growth. You cannot have it. And so they're utterly interlocked. Let me just remind you here for a second how we dealt with springtime and summer. Really, I should have started with autumn. Autumn is the beginning of the Jewish year. But I put springtime and summer last time. Listen, what did we say about springtime? When you get to springtime, it's a time of pruning. That's what you do coming in. Remember, I cut back my apple tree with great success. I just done what I was told. It wasn't my thinking, but I'll, it will be my thinking in the future. At the beginning of spring, we begin to prune. But it's also a time for the latter rain to come. That is springtime. What is springtime marked by? Fresh starts, new growth, restoration, recovery. Everything breaks forth. All the seeds that were planted in the ground. All the sowing and reaping comes to bear in springtime. All of your sowing suddenly uh, uh, comes and shows itself. Then what about summer? Summer is the rainless season. No rain for five months thereabouts. No rain whatsoever. Do you realize in Israel, when you compare Israel to Ireland, if you take our very hottest day that we had this past summer, the very hottest day, that's only an average day during those five months in Israel. It's only an average day, but it's our hottest day here. They have that for five months, no rain during the summertime. But you know what? Summertime is harvest time. That's when you bring in the harvest. There mustn't be rain. It would damage the harvest at that point. It's depended on the rain coming before. And you know what? In those ancient days, they had military campaigns during the summer. They traveled on the seas during the summer. But you know what? It's wonderful time, but you cannot stay there. So much was accomplished in summertime, travel, warfare, and many other things, but you cannot stay there. Five months of no rain would destroy the whole sequence of this. You wouldn't have a springtime next year. You wouldn't have a summer next year. You wouldn't have a harvest time if you perpetually stayed in summer. Now let me bring you to autumn and winter time as we close out this series. I believe autumn and winter depict and show us a spiritual time and season in our life. 
If you understand what I'm saying, you're not going to get worried when you enter into a certain period in your life. Everything changes. Everything looks different. It feels different. Things start happening differently and you get worried. You try to recapture what was. You try to stay where you are. You want a perpetual temperate environment around you, but maybe it's not good for you. Maybe the thing you desire the thing you're longing for, the thing you're praying for would damage you. Maybe having more money or a certain job or a certain person would do more harm than good. And so we realize we need to recognize God's season and do the right thing there. Don't bemoan the previous season, but move forward seeking the will of God. And so here, let's go to autumn time and look, what does autumn time in our seasons in our nation What does it represent in your life, in your Christian life? Let me explain what an autumn looks like. In Israel, you go directly from summer into autumn. Do you know the first thing about autumn is relief from the heat. You've had five months, no rain. Five months of intolerable heat, unless you've got air conditioning or a good, well-made house. And so suddenly at the beginning of autumn, autumn in the Bible and in Israel is marked by relief from heat. Do you know what you get there? You get the former rain. This is the whole beginning of the rainy season within Israel. No rain for five months, heat for five months. All of a sudden, the rain begins to fall, the refreshing rain. You know, as I'm preparing this in about nine o'clock last night, I was sitting there in my living room and I suddenly heard the rain come in and I'm actually just sitting, meditating, praying over this. And it sounded so beautiful, I guess, because I'm looking at this. It took on a whole new thing. It's the only time in months I've gone out and looked at the rain or went and went, isn't this beautiful? But I went to my front door, I was compelled. The sound of it, and it began to pour down. It wasn't just raining, it began to pour down. And I opened the door and stood there. And the beauty of it, I guess because of this message, see the word of God makes a difference on a lot of things. And I stood there and enjoyed it as this rain came down and I'm thinking about the former rain. Can you imagine being through the dry, the dry summer season? Yes, you fought the battles. Yes, you brought in the harvest. Yes, you've made your journeys throughout the Mediterranean. But you know what you're longing for? I'm just ready now for the rainy season. And so autumn is the time where the rain begins to come again. You begin to think of this whole process of God's order. Do you know what these former rains are? Remember in the Bible talks about the former rains and the latter rains. It means the first rain or the new Bible translations, and I don't like them, okay, but I'm just telling you, the new versions talk about the autumn rain. It doesn't say the first rain or the former rain. They actually write in there and they shouldn't do this, but they do understand that it is autumn and they call it the autumn rain. The autumn rain. Listen to what Jeremiah says. He said, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter, in his season. So there is a set season in Israel, in our seasons, in your spiritual life for the former rain. There is a season, a set defined period of time where God is going to send The former rain. Do you know what the former rain is? You read about it in Acts chapter 2. That former rain, Peter stood up in the day of Pentecost and he said, this is what Joel prophesied about the former rain. This is it. And so you begin to see that autumn time actually is marked with the end of summer and a refreshing rain coming. See, you thought it was going to be all negative about autumn and winter, but it's not. Autumn actually is a time when this rain begins to come. It is the beginning of a whole season, a whole period of a year. And it's the baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire. It is the outpouring of that rain for you to be filled and refreshed. It's the autumn rain. That's what it really is. Farmers watch for this rain. You know why? It's vital to what fruit comes forth in your life. Without this former rain, do you know what it does? 
it begins to prepare the ground. Five months, can you imagine what the ground's like after five months of heat? You're traveling, you're enjoying your five months, but that ground is not ready for a harvest. Unless this former rain comes on the ground, you will not have a harvest in summertime. You need this rain. You've got to have the former rain. You've got to have the filling of the Holy Spirit. Don't talk about a harvest in summertime. If you're not experiencing the rain of the Holy Spirit in autumn time, what does it do? It begins to soften the ground and the farmers are waiting for it, watching for it, looking for it. A farmer doesn't have any work unless the rain comes. If rain doesn't come on you and it's not within your hands, you can't control the Holy Spirit, you know. But you're waiting, you're looking, you're praying, you're desiring, and you need to pray for this former rain in your own life. You know why it prepares the ground for a harvest that you're not going to see for several months? You're not going to see it. It's ordained at a certain time. The farmers know that as soon as they see that rain, again, it's time to plow. You don't only plow at springtime, you also plow in autumn time. Let the rain break up the ground, then you begin to plow. Do you know what it'd be like if you try to plow up your own ground, your own heart, when the Holy Spirit isn't working, when the rain isn't there? Do you realize how hard it would be? It would break your tools. It would break your instruments. It will break your back trying to break it up. But you know what? As soon as that rain begins to come, you know what? In a meeting, when you feel the Holy Spirit moving, move, let him break up that ground. Don't do it at home. Don't do it when you're cold in heart. Get into the presence of God. Seek the Lord and then begin preparing that ground and breaking it up. Also, autumn, the days get shorter. The nights get cooler. And they call this the equinox, which means that the day is the same length as the night. It reaches about uh, the latter part of September. It's that time where it equals out. Things are beginning to change. You might like the sun, but I'm telling you, things are moving towards the winter. Autumn is always a warning that winter is coming. What really marks this time? What marks autumn in the Bible and with us? the changing color of leaves, of everything around us. You know what it's a sign of? Things are beginning to die. Things that were good in your life, things that grew in the will of God, things that looked beautiful, things that were very full and luscious. You know, my trees at the minute don't look like anything much. All the beautiful leaves, all the work I put into it, and I've watched them over these months go back, go back. I've watched death work in my entire garden. I don't want anyone to come walking in my garden once you get into the middle of autumn and heading for winter. Don't come. I'll never walk you around my garden. I'm not going to say, hey, come, let me take you out. Do you want to see my garden? I will never do that once we're well into autumn. You know why? Death is at work. You, you'd be going, beautiful. Lying through your teeth, going, great garden. Everything is dead, wilted, faded. The only thing that haven't changed in my garden is those willows. They keep prospering. They're the only thing that don't wilt during the winter. I curse them and they still abide. It says in Isaiah 40 verse 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. You can end it. You can enter into a spiritual time where you go, why is everything dying? I don't look as beautiful. The color is changing. All the beautiful growth. I don't want anyone to see me like this. Do you know that can be in the will of God? Without this autumn time, you will not have a springtime. You try to hold on to the color and the vibrancy and the growth. You know what? It goes in a cycle what was once okay in your life may not be okay this morning. And death begins to work within it. It's a whole natural process. Do you realize in the New Testament, we have a season of dying in the Christian life. There are seasons you walk into as a Christian. And I want to tell you, everything that was growing beautifully in the will of God, everything that was in the plan of God, everything that you cultivated, you sowed for this, you pruned for this, you plowed for this, and it's so beautiful. But you know, your summertime is over. The harvest is in. 
God is after the harvest, not the beautiful leaves. You see, we look at the trees and the leaves and the growth. God is after real fruit, real harvest. We enjoy the beauty of it all. But do you realize that's only to bring forth a harvest? After the harvest comes in, God says all of this needs to go into a period of death. This is autumn time in your life. Everything begins to decay and you're going, this is bad. No, it's not. It's actually not. There's got to be a death process or you'll never have a springtime of resurrection and of restoration and of springing forth. We want that, but we don't want death. And so death, unless you understand death, the autumn time at work in your life, you'll get confused. You really will. You'll be like the tree holding onto all that it has, groaning, embarrassed because of its nakedness. Are you telling me a tree without its leaves is out of the will of God? Would you dare say that? Would you say there's something faulty and wrong with this tree? Imagine if I'd told some expert, come with me, there's some plague in my garden. Look, Look at it, everything is dying, everything is barren, there's nothing green. There's something really wrong. There's no apples on the apple tree. They would look at me like I've got two heads saying, don't you know this normal? No, no, no. This is bad. This is evil. This is wrong. No, it's not. This is actually good and a part of it. And so we have this in our spiritual life. Listen carefully to Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 12. Listen to me, he's talking about the ministry, the preachers. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. So you can have people in a church where the preacher is in a season of death. Everything he does is death to him. His preaching is actually coming out of death. And autumn time, the preacher's in autumn time. But he is saying... It brings life to you. So you're in springtime. You could have the preacher in autumn, the church in springtime, or you could have a husband and wife. Maybe the husband is in autumn and the wife is in springtime. Maybe the husband is walking with God and pursuing God and he's going through a time of death. Everything is dying. Spiritual death is working within him. You know what? There's a good clean out. He doesn't feel good. He doesn't feel spiritual. And yet his wife is springing. She is beautiful. She is blossoming. The two walk in together. And you're going, oh boy, what's going on here? You know what Paul says? Death worketh in us, the ministers, the preachers. And you know, what is death to me can bring life to you or life to those online. You know, why am I standing in a pulpit at a time like this? Apart from just to keep my sanity. But you know what? I know there's a plan and a purpose. I am in a dying season. Death is working on me. It costs me to stand here. But I know life will come out of it. I know spiritual life will come. And so you need to be very careful. You don't close down at a time of autumn. You don't say there's no plan here. There's no purpose. All is dying. Why am I here doing the will of God? Actually, it's very important. This working of death within your life, it's going to affect other lives. It'll produce another harvest. It'll bring you to springtime. If you're ignorant of this season, you can make mistakes. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and 9. Listen to what Paul says. For we are glad when we are weak. So notice Paul, the great apostle, is in a season of weakness. Ye are strong. So while he's in a season of weakness, the church is in a season of strength. His weakness was bringing forth their strength. And yet it both goes together. In fact, you wouldn't, if weakness was not at work in Paul's life, if he wasn't going through a season of weakness, I guarantee you there'd be no strength in that local church. It trips all evangelism in further afield distances. And he says, the more part advised us to depart, if by any means we might attain to finesse and there to winter. Choose your place where you're going to spend winter. You know why? It's going to get very dark, very cold. There's going to come in storms at this time. 
And wherever you find yourself in winter, you are stuck in a certain place. <coughs> and so Paul always thought ahead. In autumn time, he's going, okay, where, what town, what village, what place, what people do I want to be with when winter time comes? You know why? Because you're going to be locked in there for a period of time. He also says in 1 Corinthians 16 and 6, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. So Paul's planning here to spend the winter with certain people because once winter comes, you're not traveling far. And so winter time is not a time of enterprise, fighting battles. It's too cold. It's too different for that. But you know what? You choose your people. You know, if I'm going into winter time, it's going to get very cold. It's going to get very dark. Apostasy is around. There's false teaching. There are wills. You know what? I want to spend winter time with some folk who know God. I want to choose my place because who I'm with, my winter time is going to be greatly affected by that. We're going to have to walk through a dark, cold, barren, dead time when not much happens. Do you know what it'd be like stuck in a boat in some harbor with a moaner and a complainer? I don't like the darkness. I don't like this. I don't like the weather. I don't like being here. I don't like the food. That's why Brother Clendenu traveled all over this world. He said if some young guy come with him and done none but complain the whole time, he'll say, that guy will never, ever come on a trip with me ever again. The bed's not good. What about the food? What did you expect? You're pouring yourself out for a people. There was a guy traveled with him. A pastor friend of mine took his young evangelist with him. He come up from way back in the plane up to first class, said, uh, why don't I have one of these seats? I don't like being back there. Clendenin, he didn't say to him, he just said, he'll never be back on a trip with me again. You need to be very careful. Paul is thinking all this through. In Titus 3 verse 12, when I shall send Artemides unto thee, Artiticus, be diligent to come unto me at Neapolis, for I have determined there to winter. You know, you can't change the season, but you can change who you're with and where you are. You know what? I want to be in a good church during winter time. I want to be in a real church during winter time. Everything is going to get dark and cold and barren. I won't be able to do much. This might be my only place of refuge. I want to be an environment. I want to choose where I'm going to winter. I want to know I'm in a church that is real. Remember what we said last time? was that the ancient Greeks and the Romans avoided sailing in wintertime all through the Mediterranean because the storms were so high and dangerous and violent. Your ships would get destroyed. And so they avoided, stop everything during winter, find a place. You know why the sea gets boisterous? You know the devil gets boisterous in a wintertime when everything, there's no harvest, there's no planting, there's no pruning, there's none of that, there's very little light. And you know what? The devil is very active on that sea. You want to make journeys. If you're doing the wrong thing at the wrong season, you could end up in a shipwreck. Oh, I'm going to go do this for God. It's winter time. Oh, I, I'm going to embark on this new journey. Or I'm called to this. Or I'm going to do this. If you do the wrong thing at the wrong season, you could well find yourself at the bottom of the Mediterranean. You'll be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Proverbs 20 verse 4, it says, The sluggard, sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. In winter time, as the winter time comes, again, there's a plowing season. Not a pruning time, not a harvest time. You're going to have to go out and break up. And you know what the sluggard, the lazy person does? I'll wait for springtime to plow. I'm tired. I'm cold. Like Shiloh, who doesn't want to go out the door during winter. You should see her when I open the door. Not a chance. I'm getting back into my bed. She perpetually becomes... Was it when you sleep during the, uh, the hibernate? Um, she goes into hibernate. She's not an animal. It's meant to hibernate. She hibernates. 
She's a self-chosen, identified hibernation dog, I want to tell you. Boy, some of these things get me off track. But it says that the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. You could say, I'll wait to springtime. I'll do all the hard work in summer. You'll be too late. Do you know what at a time where it's cold, barren, where it's apostate, where not much is happening, now is, there's a plowing time in winter time. Are we in a spiritual winter in the church world? We definitely are. But I know there's a harvest time coming. Why not do our plowing, our winter plowing? It's too cold. Oh, I, I, my bones are seizing up, my feet are cold. Dig up the ground in your heart. Oh no, I'll just lie in bed. You're lazy. You'll miss out on a summer. If you wait for summer, you're going to find something is not there. Why do you ply up the ground? It eliminates the weeds. And please note this. Harvest time is summer. You come into autumn. Do you know why you ply up at this time? Because as soon as you remove the good harvest during the summer, weeds immediately begin coming in. If you don't work on that, you're going to have an entire field in the same year. You're going to have an entire field that had a real crop just one year down the road. It's a false crop in one year. If you don't do the right thing over these months, over winter time, if you're not watching out, you'll actually find a field. Haven't we seen it all through the church? Entire denominations, an entire large church, a great pulpit that affected the world. You know, we were in London just a matter of several weeks ago uh, with Brother Soph and Brother Kai and families. And we were there at Buckingham Palace and Soph wouldn't allow me to take any photographs of him under the Union Jack in front of Buckingham Palace. He said, you're not going to do that. I said, I'll stick this on Facebook, but he wouldn't allow me. But just over the road, we went looking for a hot cup of tea. It was freezing. And the guys, Brother Soph found... Uh, what was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones Church, um, Westminster Chap Chapel. And I was so glad he found that place. And we went in and we're sitting there just drinking tea and enjoying it. And I'm watching everything. I've got, I, I want a picture in that pulpit. So while they're eating their crisps and all, I'm going, how am I going to do that? So I talked to the little African lady behind uh, the teacups making all the tea. I go, she's got the key to everyone in here. I assure you, the lady that serves the tea does up lunch for these guys, all the preachers. If anyone could get me in. So I went and had a wee chat with her. How do I get in there? And uh, she just told me and said, I'll, I'll indicate to you at the right time. So thumbs up. And we worked on that. Well, I got in that pulpit to get my uh, picture. And as we talked to the young preacher there in that church, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a giant of a man who believed in the authority of scripture and the power of God's word. He was a preacher, a teacher of God's word. It's not a long time ago that he died. And you know what this young preacher, they now have the church and the pulpit and as we're going to leave, he turns around and he says, uh, he says, we don't use that pulpit anymore because that represented the authority of God's word. He said, we like to come down close to the people. We like to be down here, not up in this pulpit. That was specially designed to see every eye and speak to every person in there and said, we like to be down here. You know what? That church has swung because they didn't plow during winter time, you've got an entire, you've got a different kind of leadership, a different kind of preaching, an entire different congregation. It's radically changed within my lifetime to be one of the greatest pulpits in the land, to be in a place where you've got this typical wishy, washy, confused, oh, we don't believe in the authority of the Bible. We're people, people. God help us. Do you hear me? This is so vital. And God help you as a church. If you don't understand this, this church could change overnight unless you fight for it. So why do you plow up during winter time to eliminate the weeds? Weeds move in after the harvest time. Let a harvest time come. Great rejoicing. 
soul saved. You've got another harvest coming unless you're careful. That's why you plow. If you take a rest for a year, there's coming in something. The previous harvest is gone. This next harvest could be real bad in this church. If you don't keep preaching, discerning, checking the converts, watching over souls, implementing discipline in this church. This church could be a different place within one year, radically different. That's why I take this very, very serious. You know why you plow the ground? It gets oxygen into the ground. It makes the ground usable for springtime. And the best times to plow are October and November time, the very best times. But last of all, winter. The most rain falls during winter. No harvest at all, but the most rain. Everybody knows about the former rain in autumn and the latter rain in springtime. Almost no one in the church knows about the winter rain. And this is where most of the rain comes during winter. It's cold, it's dark, but you know what? It's dangerous during this time. There are thunderstorms. There are storms across the sea. It's dangerous to travel. Stay where you are. Batten down, be very careful. But you know what? There is a winter rain. Everyone thinks revival looks the same. They all want an Acts 2 revival. Or they're looking forward to a, a latter rain revival in the last days. You know, most don't understand the winter rain. When these rains come representing real revival, they are violent, they are destructive, they saturate the ground. The Hebrew word for this rain is Gresham, and it begins in December and continues until March. It is plentiful, it soaks the ground, it comes at intervals, it comes without warning, it suddenly comes down like a flood. It is heavy rain. In fact, locals say heavy rain is an under statement because this winter rain heavy rain doesn't even describe it the winds the clouds are full they are black there's storms lightning thunder it's destructive but it's like revival it's a type of revival you know what winter revivals are violent amidst apostasy it could destroy and break up things do you know when a revival comes, an apostasy has covered the churches. Lightning, thunder, violence come. But it's revival. You know Savonarola, um, there in Italy, he began to preach in a remarkable way. He come up out of that Catholic system and he called that system the whore. He was a Catholic. He was a monk within the Catholic system. But he was a man of God, a prophet. You know what it was? It was a winter revival. And as he began to preach, the entire city was stirred. The entire nation was stirred. And they killed him. They had him killed. Said, that man must die. It was a terrible revival. But it was a glorious revival. And that's what winter, winter time can be a barren time. But you can have a sudden, unexpected, violent revival that comes in the midst of it. There's neither sowing nor harvesting in winter. But there are glorious things in the plan and the purpose of God. Saints, we're finishing our series. This is the first of January, the first day of the year of 2023. And we're embarking and I'm exhorting you. There are four distinct seasons. What seems bad to you in 22 could actually be vital to the purpose of God in 23. You may not like things that have happened. They may hurt you, discourage you. It may seem like a winter time, but I promise you springtime is coming. There's coming a harvest time, a summer time in the will and the plan of God. And if you're very wise, there's only a few things you're called on to do. This isn't hearing the spirit and trying to work out God's will. You're actually told just walk with God. Just walk in fellowship with him and he'll show you what to do and when to do it and give you the wisdom. Please stand with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Oh, Father, we love you, O God, in this first day of the year. We intend to start how we're going on. Give us great wisdom, every life. Nor, God, we realize we've been through so many storms, so many tragic things, so many heartbreaking things in these previous months. My God, our hearts despair at time, and yet there's spiritual life coming out of the midst of this church. Your word is going forth. You are touching and changing lives. You're encouraging and challenging and strengthening other leaders. And Father, we pray amidst our autumn time, amidst our winter time, let death work in us. But oh God, we pray as an entire church this morning, let us be the seed that falls into the ground and that bears abundant fruit. My God, we're asking that you do a special work with this church. We've been through the storms. We've been through confusions. We're walking through it yet. And yet we pray that as we walk through this, as death worketh in us, that you'd allow abundant life to spring forth. Nor God, send out your light and your truth. Send out your word. My God, send us a winter revival. Nor God, with all of its glory and danger, but oh God, that you might be glorified against. We exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and ask (coughs) that you would lead us into this new year. My God, our days, our times, our seasons are in your hands, not in ours, not in the devil's, but we trust you, living God. Lead us, guide us, so God, help us. Make us to know your will in these lives this morning. In Jesus' name.